Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Six weeks ago, Pastor Stephen asked if I would uh, join him in preaching. He's preaching the uh, God's Grand Story, and he's uh, giving us the overview. And, uh, And then three weeks ago, when everything happened in Israel, he called me and he specifically asked if I would speak on Israel. And so today and next week and the week after, I'm going to speak on Israel. And uh, this week, I'm going to talk about ancient Israel. It's going to, it's going to set it up. You can't, you can't understand what's going on today if you don't understand what happened in ancient Israel because it's all related. It's all related. So that's where we're going to start. Today we're going to lay the foundation and talk about ancient Israel. Next week, next week we're going to talk about the rebirth of modern Israel, and then we're going to talk about the modern state of Israel, and uh, always connecting it back to the scriptures, of course. And then on the final week, we're going to talk about the future state of Israel and what God's plan is for Israel and what's going to happen. And the timing of this little mini-series within the bigger story is, um, is rather divine, I would, uh, I would say. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to do, and they've already put up a timeline there. And so I'm going to, today, as I'm, as I'm preaching, I'm going to be, uh, we're going to start way back at the flood and we're going to work our way across, okay? So you're going to see various dates come up, and sometimes it'll be up, sometimes it'll be a table and various things, but you can just follow it along on the timeline, and it just helps you to picture things just a little bit. So we're going to bow for a word of prayer, and we're going to ask the Spirit to help us because the biggest challenge we have with this little mini-series is what to, what to keep and what to take out. Uh, because uh, we could go for six, seven weeks easily on, on these three sections. But uh, we're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to help us now and focus on what he's asking us to focus uh, right now. Lord, we ask you now by your Spirit as we look into your Word to open up our minds and our hearts so that we can put together what is happening uh, in our day and what we can expect is going to happen in the very near future. So help us now. We choose to engage with you, your spirit, and your word as we look into it. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And everybody agreed by saying? All right, are you ready? Here we go. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, uh, I'm, I'm taking us all the way back to Noah, and um, Pastor Stephen has been doing a great job there with that, with that um, uh, God's grand story. Even when we were in Vancouver, we just got back, uh, we, were, uh, we were listening in, and I was very, very excited about what, what the topic was. And uh, so I'm just going to be hanging some things on what he has already said, all right? So let's begin with the Shemites, or the Semites. Just before the flood, God said this about humanity. Uh, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was... uh Uh-oh, we're going to read it together. How's that? Everybody? Here, let's read it together. 
Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was altogether evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. It was very, very bad. So God sent the flood and wiped out the wicked, but right after God wiped out the bad, the bad people, and only righteous Noah. That's a quote. Righteous Noah. Genesis talks about that. Righteous Noah was left with his family. All the bad people were taken off. God was demonstrating for eternity that even when you, because people just say, just get rid of the bad people and this world would be fine. Amen? Amen? Wouldn't that solve the problem? The Bible says that solves nothing. Because, you, you know why? Because you and I are left. Have you ever thought of that? Because you and I are left. That's what God was demonstrating for eternity. Many of the things he did, he did to demonstrate for eternity his wisdom in what he was doing. And so immediately after the flood, and only Noah, righteous Noah, as he calls him, was left, and Noah sacrifices, the flood, the flood waters go, uh, recede, and Noah offers sacrifice. And it was a sweet-smelling sacrifice. And immediately God says, this was God's response to sacrifice. Noah hadn't done anything bad. And God says, and let's take a look at what the passage that comes up. It sounds almost exactly like the first time. When the Lord smelt the pleasing aroma, he said in his heart, never again will I curse the ground because of man, even though, what? Every inclination of his heart is evil from his youth. He wipes out the bad people, leaves the good people, and says, man is evil. Are you serious? And what God was demonstrating, because people often say, well, just get rid of the, you know, get the, rid of the Hitlers and the Stalins and the Lenins and, and Mao Zedong and all these people. Just get rid of them and we'll have a good world. And God says, no. We all contribute to evil in this world. Is that true? We all, every one of us, every time you sin, you contribute and I contribute to the sin in this world. Every one of us does. Some just contribute more. <laughs> but we all contribute to it almost every single day, if not every day. So we all need a what? Savior. And that's what God was demonstrating. And so no sooner has this happened, and God, he ushers in his plan. He already said in Genesis 3.15, as Pastor Stephan has been talking about, you know, about the seed that would crush the serpent, the serpent crusher, he already said he was going to send somebody who was going to crush the, the head of the serpent. But the problem now is, even when you get rid of the serpent, you still have evil people left. Is that true? Even that doesn't solve the whole problem. And so, God had a plan. And Noah had how many sons? 
Three, very good. He had three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And I want you to notice something in Genesis chapter 9, verse 26 to 27. Uh, you can read it with me, okay? That helps you to stay with me. Here we go. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the servant of Shem. May God expand the territory of Japheth. May he dwell in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be his servants. Now, who are the Shemites? The Greek form of that is Semites. That's where we get it from. So one of the sons of Noah was the headwaters of the Semites, where we get the word anti-Semitism from. That's the headwaters. So God says that one day he is going to dwell in the tents of Shem. Now, or the Semites. Did God dwell one day in the tents of the Shemites? Somebody? Yes, the answer is yes, absolutely. In the wilderness wanderings. They, he was dwelling with the Semites. Now, they, they use different names. Um, the Israelites, but we'll, we'll come to that. But he did exactly that. So 2,000 years before Abraham and 2,600 years before the descendants of Abraham became a nation, God predicted or promised that he would dwell in the tents of Shem. And he did uh, by, you know, by a, a cloud of fire by, by night and a cloud, of, you know, a cloud during the day. And he dwelt in a tent, a tabernacle. That was a tent among the Israelites right at the center, and they were encamped right around them. And God dwelt with a nation. He said he would, and he said he would do it uh, uh, 2,600 years before it actually happened. So he, he did that. Now, uh, if you follow, so what I was just talking about, we were talking about Genesis chapter 9. And then if you look at Genesis chapter 10 and 11, you've got the genealogies of the Shemites. Well, you have the, uh, the genealogies of the others as well. But then they, he goes to, the she, to Shem and he give, uh, gives us the genealogies of it until you get to chapter 11 and you come, you come up with um, Abraham's lineage. You, you arrive at Terah and his son Abraham. And uh, that's in chapter 11, verse 27 to 32, who were living in where? Ur of the Chaldeans, exactly, and God uh, called them. That's in modern-day Iraq, and I think they, they, just, uh, they just play that. Yes, you, you, there's the journey from Ur to the Promised Land. He said, to the land I'll show you. There's Haran, and then you go to the Promised Land there on the Mediterranean. Thanks, guys. And by the way, hats off to the, tech, the Southland Tech team for helping me, uh, Matt Peters and... And Jesse Lawn and Mark Bergen, thanks so much for all your help this week. I appreciate it very much. <clears throat> I did that so that they would do it next week again. <laughs> They're going, oh, I should have known. All right, so the Shemites. Now let's talk about the call of Abraham for a moment, all right? The Abraham the? Abraham the? Semite. Exactly. God called Abraham to leave Ur of the land, 
that God would show him. And it was an 1,100-mile journey. That whole thing was uh, 1,100 miles, 600 one way and then another 500 the other. That's kind of like walking to Vancouver from Snymac. Uh That's quite a, quite a jaunt. And God made a covenant with Abraham, which contained some promises. So God shows up, says to him, Abraham, I've chosen you from the Shemites. And uh, so God chose a people and a man by which to bring salvation to the world. And uh, anyway, Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 2 says, And the Lord said to Abraham, Leave your country, your kindred, your father's household, and go to the what? Land that I will show you. I will make of you. I, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Okay. Now we're going to put up a table, and uh, and Pastor Stephen is talking about this, and I talked about this uh, several years ago, a couple of years ago. Uh, we went into it into great detail. Today we're just kind of doing skimming. We're just skimming. But there you have the key covenants. And the first is the Edenic one, and it's the serpent crusher, okay? The second one, Abrahamic covenant. Now, actually, in, my, in, in, in the writing that I've done, and I've, I've written, I don't know, um, like several hundred pages on this, but there was a bunch of... Um, of promises that he made but here are three key ones to add to it because seed was also that but it was a repeat of of the Edenic one but a great nation I'm gonna turn you into a great nation and by great he doesn't just mean numerical not just quantity but quality I'm gonna make you into a righteous nation and uh, we don't have time to get into that. But I'm going to make you into a righteous nation. Israel is not a righteous nation to, uh, at this time. But he said he would. He'd said he, he said he would give them land. He said he would, that they would be a blessing to the nations. We're going to talk about that later in the message. And then we're going to skip over the mosaic for now. Because that's not the purpose of this particular message. And the Davidic one basically said we're going to give you an eternal king on the Davidic throne. There's going to be a dynasty, and then there's going to be a king who's going to rule over the nations forever and ever. Listen to me. The scriptures say, and there's lots of move towards, you know, lots of talk, and it has been for a long time, for one world government. It actually started way back in the Tower of Babel, but, uh, but they're still doing. One day there will be one government, and there will be one king, and his name is? Jesus, and he's going to rule from Jerusalem. That's exactly what he says. And it's an eternal king on David's throne. And then you got the new covenant or the renewed covenant. And some of the things that are, involved, that are included in there, I've just put some of the main ones, are forgiveness. He would forgive them. He would give them receptive hearts. He would give them a spirit to obey. And all Israel will be there is a day coming when all Israel will be saved. We'll be talking about that in the third message, okay? And we'll tell you how. The scriptures uh, talk, talk to us about how it's going to happen. These were all promises. And by the way, the new covenant, who is the new covenant uh, made with? Many people think the new covenant was made with the church, and it was not made with the church. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31, 
and, and so on forth, and we won't get, get into that now. That's not the purpose of it. It was made with the house of Israel, which was in the north, which went into captivity in 722 B.C., and with Judah, the house of Judah, uh, which went into captivity in 605 B.C., which we'll talk about in just a minute. And, he, and when he made the new covenant with, we just simply got grafted in, the Apostle Paul said. Gentiles did, according to Romans chapter 9, verse 11. But we don't have time for that right now. Okay? So once Abraham arrived in Canaan, it was, it's called, you know, you, you hear songs about Canaan. By, and by the way, I'm trying to, I'm, I'm, I have got people in this audience who know nothing about Israel because they're just young and just starting out so know very little and then I got advanced so I'm trying to hit somewhere in, in between okay so anyway Canaan was the place that God promised to give Abraham so when we talk about Canaan or the promised land we're talking about the exact same pl place but it's that place by the Mediterranean so once Abraham arrived in Canaan, God promised to give him and his descendants that land, and that's why it was called the promised land. And this is what God said in Genesis 17, and to you and your descendants I will give the land where you are residing, all the land of Canaan, as a, as a what? as an eternal possession. Remember, what we're talking about today is foundational for what you're reading in the newspapers. And it's foundational for what we're going to talk about next week and the week after. It's an eternal possession. And God prophesied that his descendants would be enslaved for 400 years, and then God would bring them out. Genesis 15 says, this is all part of the Abrahamic covenant. But... God said to Abraham, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not their own, and they will be enslaved and mistreated for 400 years. Now, God said this to Abraham 200 years before they went into Egypt and 600 years before it actually happened. And... Um, God predicted that. Remember, we're talking about a plan God had to, to save the world. And I don't mean every single person in it, but to make the plan of salvation, um, uh, you know, an offer to the world. And he says, I will judge the nation they serve as slaves, and after that they will depart with many possessions. And that's exactly what happened. It's exactly what happened. Now, we're going to continue. So, we have the call of Abraham, the, uh, the Semite. He goes down to the promised land of Canaan. And when he's there, uh, now we're going to look at the third part. They go from Canaan to Egypt, and then they end up back in Canaan. Okay? So, if you look, uh, the timeline is back up there. The promises of the covenant of Abraham, land, seed, blessing, a righteous nation, passed on to Abraham's son. Who was Abraham's son? Isaac. And he married? Rebekah. And from Isaac and Rebekah, the promise passed on to who? Who was his son? 
Jacob, not Esau, but Jacob. And Jacob married Rachel and Leah. Exactly. And Rachel and Leah had what? How many sons? Twelve sons they had, which eventually formed what? The tribes of Israel. Exactly. In Canaan, or on the way back to Canaan, because Jacob left to marry his, his wives, they were uh, Leah and Rachel, and they, they weren't in Canaan. And you remember the story about Jacob and Esau and how he fled and all of that. <clears throat> he marries Leah and, uh, and Rachel, and they have most of their sons over there on the way back. And he's afraid he's going to meet Esau on the way back one night. He wrestles with an angel of the Lord all night. Do you remember that story? Okay, so he wrestles with the angel of the Lord, and he prevails. And I, I had to take out the notes. <laughs> I wanted to explain the meaning. But he changed his name from Jacob to Israel. Israel. He changed it. And uh, there's great meaning behind that name. But now you know where that name comes from. And he became the foundation of the nation of Israel, his 12 sons and the 12 tribes. And uh, then the you have the story of Joseph. And remember, Joseph had a dream. And the dream was of the sun and the moon and the 12 stars bowing to him, his father, mother, and brothers bowing to him, or 11 stars, bowing to him. Do you remember that? Do you remember that his brothers hated him for that? And so what did they do? They sold him into slavery to which country? Egypt. Remember what God had said. You're going to be enslaved in another country for 400 years. Well, they ended up over there. He, was in, he served in Potiphar's house. He was falsely accused of rape. And after he was falsely accused, he was thrown into a dungeon. And there God favored him again. Whatever he touched, God favored him. And eventually, he interpreted the dreams of the butler. And, uh, and uh, to, he interpreted two dreams. And then he became, he became the second in command in all of Egypt, next only to who? Pharaoh, exactly. And uh, there was a great famine in the land. You remember how they how they stored up the grain and stuff. And eventually his father Jacob and the other brothers ended up coming to Egypt. And they moved there in the land of Goshen. And in the land of Goshen, uh, they stayed and uh, they prospered. And eventually uh, Joseph died, uh, Jacob died first, and then Joseph died. And the brothers all died. But they had families. They moved in with 70 people into Egypt. And they multiplied tremendously in the land of Egypt. And then in Egypt, uh, a new king who did not know Joseph, that's Exodus 1, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said, the Israelites have become too numerous, too powerful for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, and we'll increase even more. And if a war breaks out, they may join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. And he enslaved them for, and they were enslaved for nearly what? 400 years. And then God called who? Moses. Exactly. You see this story? 
developing. And God, through Moses, performed 10 plagues. And eventually the Egyptians threw, literally threw them out of the land of Egypt and uh, with many possessions. And they left Egypt. Uh, yeah, oh, you see that? Look at that. That's beautiful. Thanks, guys. And that's their wilderness wanderings for 40 years. And they ended up back in the promised land. But now they're a nation. And uh, God kept his promise. God led them out of Egypt with a pillar of fire, cloud and fire, parting the Red Sea, up to, and they went up to Mount Sinai, and it was at Mount Sinai that God constituted them a nation. That's where they received their constitution. That's where they received the religious laws. That's where they received their civil laws. That's where they received their judicial laws. And they were constituted a nation. And God said, I'll take you in. Now, Moses, did Moses lead them into the promised land? No, he did not. Who led them into the promised land? Joshua led them into the promised land. Exactly right. Hey, you know your, you know your Bible. That's good. I like that. So how, <clears throat> how we know that the promises, remember, if we, if we uh, go to the, uh, now we go back to the table of uh, promises, and uh, how do we know that these promises will be fulfilled? Because have they all been fulfilled? No, they haven't all been fulfilled. In fact, we're going to go through that in just a moment. But first of all, the promises are unconditional. Because a lot of people are saying today, that, you say, why is this important? Because there's a lot of people today that say, Israel doesn't have a purpose in God's plan anymore. And the church just replaced it. And so what happens in Israel doesn't matter anymore. That's not true. It's not what the scriptures say. And here's one of the easiest ways for you to remember, aside from a lot of other arguments, we'll, we'll talk about some of them next week. But uh, the first thing is that the promises were unconditional. Okay, you see that. Unconditional. Here's what I mean by that. Remember when God made a covenant with Abraham? He, he, uh, when they would make a treaty or a covenant with each other in ancient times, what they would do is take a bunch of animals, they would cut them in half, and then they would lay half, a row of half the animals there, and the other half over here. And then there would be a pathway in between, and the two covenanting parties would walk through the, the dead animals together, one after another. You say, that's weird. No, it isn't weird. It had tremendous significance. What they were saying when they passed through these two rows of animals was, may I be like these dead animals if I don't keep my part of the covenant? Does that make sense? Isn't that brilliant? Except for one thing. When God made a covenant with Abraham, how many people went through? One. Abraham never went through. He wanted to go through, but God, what did God do with Abraham? He put him to sleep. And after he put him to sleep, he put a vision or a movie on in his head. I don't know if you wired him up or what he did. Uh, 
And, he, and Abraham was fast asleep, and he could watch the burning fire go pass, which was God, pass through the animals by themselves, and Abraham himself was not able to go through those two halves. Which means that in this covenant, how many people made the covenant? One. Abraham made no promise. Everything about those promises depended on who? God. Not Abraham, because Abraham never went through. Do you see that? So when God says, I, I'm going to turn you into a great nation, who does it depend on? Abraham and Israel being good? The answer is no. When God says, I'm going to give you a land for, uh, that you're going to occupy one day, does that depend on Israel? Correct. Uh, you're going to be a blessing to the nations, and on and on. There's going to be a king on David's throne forever. Does that depend on, on, on Abraham and Israel? No. See, a lot of people think it does. But it's an unconditional promise. Has nothing to do with their goodness. Whether they participate in it as participants for themselves, that's another matter, but I don't want to confuse the issue today. Okay, I've talked about that here before. That's, that's the Mosaic uh, covenant, okay? So we're not going to get into that right now. But the point that I want you to get is it, the promises, all these promises do not depend on Israel. They do not depend on any of them because they're all sinners just like the person sitting right next to you. Tell them. They're sinners just like the person next to you. Go ahead, tell the person right next to you. Just like you. Yeah. It only depends on God. And you're gonna, we're going to talk about some amazing things about that next week. Okay? So this is really important. It's unconditional. So what's the first thing you, you want to believe about the promises? They are unconditional. The second thing is that the promises were eternal. Not only were the promises to Abraham unconditional, they also did not have a, listen to this, best before date on them. On the milk carton, you know what I mean? It didn't say best before. No. In other words, these these uh, covenants, these promises did not have an expiry date. That means those promises, as, as old as they are, you saw, the, you saw the timeline there, as old as these promises are, I mean, we're talking 2000 BC, we're talking 4,000 years ago. Young people, listen to me really carefully. If you think the Old Testament and the ancient things that we're talking about that's just old-fashioned, old stuff. Doesn't need, it's, it has no expiry date, which means it is in effect today. Every one of those covenants is alive today. That's why you have to know them. Because they'll affect you. They will affect you. And the decisions that you make, they are live today. That's an incredible thought. Genesis 17, 
Verse 7, for example, I will establish my covenant between you and your offspring after you throughout your generation for what? Everlasting covenant. How long is everlasting? Yeah. I've read some guys who have tried to turn everlasting into something else. That's pathetic. It's pathetic that I even have to read that kind of stuff. Look at the new covenant promise. Jeremiah 31, verse 35 to uh, 36. This is what the Lord says. He appoints the sun to shine by day, who decrees the moon and the stars to shine by night. Did the sun come up today? Did it come up yesterday? How many of you are expecting it to come up tomorrow? You, you don't even think about it. Have you ever thought about that? The moon was out there today. Did you, any of you up early enough to see it? Yeah, it was amazing. Stars are up there. They're always there. Look at verse 36. Let's read it together, okay? Only if these decrees vanish from my sight, declares the Lord, will Israel ever cease being a nation before me. That's incredible. They're eternal. Okay? Number three. God sometimes keeps his promises. Oh, did I say that wrong? God, how many times does he keep his promise? Listen, your children might not keep their promise, and your parents might not keep your promise, and your friends might not keep your promise, and the government will not keep its promise. <laughs> Amen? <laughs> Sorry if you're from the government. I love you. <laughs> but God always keeps his promise. He says his integrity is at stake. God is not a man that he should what? Lie. Nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God takes oaths and promises and covenants very seriously. And I, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about that today a little bit, but we just don't have time. Number four, Old Testament prophecies or promises were literally fulfilled. And we're back to the timeline again there. Because Judah, by the way, the word Jews comes from the word Judah. Okay, because the northern uh, the 10 tribes, they went off captivity in 722 B.C. Judah was left, uh, two, two tribes, till 605 B.C. They went out for 70 years. They were called, they were Judeans, they were Judah, but they were called Jews because of that. And it simply means praise, okay? That's where you come with that. So now you know where the word Israel came from and Semites and, and Jews, okay? It says in Jeremiah, uh, because the, the Judah was so rebellious, Jeremiah prophesied their exile. He says, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north, and my servant, who? Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants. These nations will serve the king of Babylon how many years? Seven years. That happened. They went away in three deportations in 605 B.C starting in 605, 597 and 586. And Daniel went in the first deportation. Ezekiel went in the second deportation to Babylon. And then Jeremiah predicted that God would bring them out of exile. 
But when the 70 years are fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and his uh, nation, the, the land of the Babylonians, for the guilt. will make it desolate forever. Isaiah prophesied. So look at this. Look at these accurate prophecies. So Jeremiah says you're going to go into captivity for 70 years, and after 70 years you're coming out. Isaiah prophesies and says who was going to make the decree that they go back to Jerusalem to build the temple and then the, the city. Cyrus. Now, you know what's amazing about that prophecy? Listen to me, young people, very carefully. At the time that Isaiah made that prophecy, he, it was before Israel, or Judah, the, 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 two, the two southern tribes, went into Babylonian captivity. They were their own nation, autonomous nation. And Isaiah says, Cyrus is going to send you back, except Cyrus wasn't a Babylonian. He was a Medo-Persian. And the Medo-Persian empire came after the Babylonians, but the Babylonians were the ones who captured Judah. Do you see what I'm saying? He was predicting something two empires into the future. He could not see that. Two empires into the future. Not only that, he did it between 150 to 200 years before Cyrus was even born. And he named him. And it's in the scriptures. Take a look. Who says of Cyrus? By the way, you can read that entire passage. I just, we just don't have the time. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, he shall fulfill all my purposes, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. He shall, Cyrus, will build my city and set my exiles free, not for price or reward. In other words, and he's going to, you're going to build the, you're going to rebuild the temple and the city for free. <laughs> They got taken into exile. Are you serious? Now, this exile is going to become very important in what we're talking about. So I'm demonstrating something on the one hand, but it's going to be very important for next week. Okay? The, the exile. So when, I, when we talk about the Babylonian exile next week, this is what we're talking about. Okay? So this is the first exile, and we'll talk about another one next week. Fifth, the promises have been partially fulfilled, and I should have written there already. <laughs> so, um, we're going to look at uh, some of them. Has, let's, uh, can we do, uh, can we uh, put that other one back up? I know I didn't put that there. You know, the table. Can we have the table back? If it, if it works. Anyway. So, uh, yeah, there, thanks so much for your help on that, guys. I didn't, I didn't mark it. So I want to ask you a question. Has the serpent been crushed? The serpent is the devil. Has he been crushed? No is the correct answer. Has he been disarmed? Yes. Okay, take, take a look. Colossians 2, verse 13. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he became a public, he made a public spectacle, that's Jesus, of them triumphing over them by the cross. But he hasn't been crushed. Paul said, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under his feet. That's in the future. 
in the tribulation. Amen? And then he's going to put them in prison for a thousand years, right? Okay. Did God make Abraham's descendants into a nation? Yeah, he did make them into a nation. Uh, remember, they were constituted a nation. Are they a righteous nation? No. So it's partially fulfilled. It's not completely fulfilled. And uh, did God bring them into the land? Yes. Do they occupy all the land? No, they don't. Do you know that they never occupied all the land that God promised them? In the time of Solomon, they, they got the closest to it. But they never did occupy all the land God promised them. But do they occupy some of it? Yes. Partially fulfilled. Did God give David a dynasty of kings? Yeah, in fact, there were, after Solomon, there were another 19. So there's 20 of them. Some of them were good, some of them were bad in, in the Judean dynasty. And, but then came Jeconiah, and because they were so disobedient, God cut off the line there. And there hasn't been a Davidic king since that time. But when you get 600 years later, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem saying what? Where is he who has been born? King of the Jews. But has, so who's the king of the Jews? Who's the Davidic ruler that's going to rule over the world? Jesus. But is he sitting on his throne in Jerusalem on the Davidic throne? And the answer is no, he's not. Exactly. He's been thrown. He, he will be. He was tried before of Pilate for his claim to be their king. He died on the cross with a placard posted over him which read, this is Jesus, king of the Jews. See, all these things matter. There's a, there's a story going on here, right? Okay, will this promise and others be kept? Yes, how do we know? Listen to me very carefully now. If the Lord was willing, God the Father was willing to send his son the first time so that God, so that, uh, you know, that Jesus could pay for our sins. Don't you think that he is more than willing, willing to send his son the second time to rescue us and rule over the world? If God was willing to give up his son to die on the cross for your sins, as as ridiculous as that is, then why is it so difficult for some Christians to believe that he was? Did he do it literally? Did Jesus die on the cross literally? Was he born of a virgin? Because you're going to celebrate that very shortly. Did he die literally? Did he rise from the dead literally? Did he go into heaven literally? So why is it so hard for some unbelieving believers which is a paradox, to think that he's going to come back a second time and literally rule in Jerusalem over all the nations. Amen? Unbelief. That was the problem of the Israelites in the 40-day wandering, 40-year wandering, and it's the problem in the Christian church today. Unbelief. That's the problem. Okay? 
Oh, my goodness, I better hurry up. Okay, has Israel already been a blessing to the nations? Yeah, that, that's another one of the things. So we're going to go through this very quickly. Here's some ways that Israel has been a blessing. Remember I said God chose a man and he chose a nation to bring salvation to the world? Here's some of the things, aspects of that, that we're now going to see very, very quickly. And uh, the first one is the nations received the world's first monothe monotheistic view of God because all the nations around them were all polytheists. They all believed in many, many gods. But Israel said, Hear, O Israel, there is one God. Amen? There is only one God. Second, they introduced that to the nations. The nations received uh, the scriptures through Israel. Romans 3 says, uh, what advantage then is there in being a Jew or what value is there in circumcision? Much in every way. First of all, they have been entrusted with the very words of God. These words revealed who God was and what he's like, what he had done. And did you know that the world, uh, think about this. The world's all-time best-selling books you want to know what they are? And it's not the Da Vinci Code. The Communist Manifesto, 10 million copies sold. The Quran, get this, 800 million copies sold in the world. Over 800 million. Do you know how many for the Bible? Over five billion I don't know how many albums Taylor Swift has sold <laughs> but I'm going to tell you if you're a Swifty <laughs> it's nothing she's a peon <laughs> compared to God Would you agree? She didn't sold over five billion, and she never will. Besides which, she does not have the words of life, eternal life. Amen? I'm not against uh, Taylor. I'm, I'm, I'm a Swifty, just for the record. I said that for my grandkids' sake. It is, and the Bible's translated into 2,200 languages as, and is in every single nation in the world today. It's incredible. And it came from the Jews. Number three, the nations received a picture of God through their interactions with, uh, God's interactions with Israel through blessing. When he would bless them. And uh, Lord, your God will bless you in the land he is giving. Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by my name and will fear you. Number two, through God's deliverance. When he brought the plagues against Egypt, God said, on that day I will deal differently with the land of Goshen where my people live. No swarms of flies will be there so that you will know that I, the Lord, am in the land. And all of this was intended to draw the nations to him. 
He said, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm when he comes. And so, and so they prayed. When, he, when the foreigner in Israel comes to pray at the temple, he says, do whatever the foreigner asks. This is Solomon praying. Do whatever the foreigner asks so that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you through discipline and judgment. And uh, all the nations will ask, why has the Lord done this to the land? Why this fierce burning anger? And the answer will be, is because the people abandoned the covenant of the Lord. And through restoration. Ezekiel said the nations would also take note when God restored the land. Then the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have rebuilt what was destroyed and have replanted what was desolate. Next week, we're going to talk about Israel's return to the land after 1900 years. And I'm going to read you quotes of atheists who have said, significant atheists who have said, it's caused them to wonder if there's a God because never has that ever happened. That a nation's been gone twice and come back to life. It's impossible. And he said, even that God would use the nations around you that remain will know that I, the Lord, have done that. Isn't that something? So the nations received the first monotheistic view. Nations received the scriptures through Israel. Nations received a picture or demonstration of how God deals with nations and, his, and the truthfulness of God. And fourth, the nations received a savior and salvation from Israel. That's the chief blessing the nations received from Israel. Isaiah 49 says, You'll be a light for the Gentiles that you may bring my, what? Salvation to the ends of the earth. When Peter preached at Pentecost, was, was Peter a Gentile or a Jew? Yeah, he's a Jew. 3,000 got saved. Later, 5,000 got saved. And upon their return home, they took the gospel with them. When persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, the Jewish Christians scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, taking the gospel with them. No wonder, Jesus said, for salvation is from the... He said that to the Samaritan woman at the well. He said salvation is from the Jews. That's where it came from. So they gave us monotheism, the scriptures, a demonstration of how God interacts with people and with the nations of the world. And number four, he gave them a savior. Was Jesus born a white Caucasian? Was he born a Latino? Was he born an African? Was he born an Asian? He was born a Jew. He's born a Jew. That's who he is. That's where we got our Savior from. Amen? And we should never forget that. We got that from Israel. And Paul says, you Gentiles, you need to stop being arrogant. He says in Romans 9 to 11, that's his argument. But we don't have time to go there. And number five, the nations received the church from Israel. <laughs> Even the church. 
The Jewish apostles were the foundation of the church, Ephesians 2. Therefore, you are no longer strangers, foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and even they were Jewish. Amen? The church we have around the world is on the foundation of Jewish apostles and prophets. Amen? God did that. It's amazing. Well, I'm going to finish this way. 24% of the Bible verses contain a promise of what God will do in the future. Over 700 events are forecast. The Lord's coming is mentioned 300 times. Of these, just under 600 have, all, of the 700, have already come true. Young people, listen to me. When they're telling you in the schools, the Bible is nothing. And online, 600 of 700 prophecies or predictions have already come true. That's 81%. I'd say that's a pretty good rate. Amen? I gave you a couple of examples. I could go on here for weeks giving you um, fulfillments. It doesn't take much faith to believe the rest will come true. Amen? If 81% have been fulfilled, 19% to go. How many of you are with me? Jesus is coming. And he's going to rule from Jerusalem in Israel. And we're going to talk about the purpose. I just I gave you five, five ways in which God used Israel. He chose a Semite, a single man, and a people to bring salvation to the world. I showed you five ways in which he has used them for that. And we're going to talk about they still have a purpose left. Micah 5.2 says, You Bethlehem, Ephratah, who are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come forth for me one to be ruler over Israel. His origins are of old from the days of eternity. Half of that verse has already been fulfilled. Where was Jesus born? The part that hasn't been fulfilled yet is which part? A ruler is coming. And he's going to rule the nations. Amen? If you can believe the first part, you got to believe the second part. I mean, that's the gospel. Amen? That's the gospel of the kingdom. If you're here and you've been sitting on the line about Jesus, sit on the line no more. Sit on the line no more. Get on the right side of history. Because make no mistake, he is coming back. And when he comes back, he's not coming back as a lamb. He's coming back as a lion. It's not going to be the meek Jesus. And he's going to judge the nations, and he's going to judge our hearts, and we're going to stand accountable before him for what we have or have not done. Amen? Did we believe him? Did we follow him? Did we love him? Or what? 
if you want to right now, follow me in this prayer of commitment to him. Dear Jesus, oh, I'm built up in my faith. If you haven't followed him before, tell him right now, I'm so sorry for my sin and I repent of it and for sitting on the line about you and not taking a stand for you and not serving you wholeheartedly. Lord, I ask you to forgive me and I make you not just savior of my life, but Lord of my life. And I wanna follow you the remainder of the days of my life in Jesus' name, amen.